Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you if you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Yes, we're back after an unforeseen early season hiatus, but thankfully not much happened when we were away. Oh yeah, other than open warfare, breaking out in the support about the future of the manager, uh, the opening of the decades-awaited new training facility, and but hours before we record this, the news breaking that Stuart Milne is to step down from the position of chairman. Now joining me to discuss all that and more is a man who, well very much like Andy Considine in some ways, he's been here forever largely because we can't afford a better option. It's Martin Clunas. You know Richard, um, I'll be totally honest with you, um, in this time that we've been away but we and not been doing the podcast, I've kind of missed you. Yeah, if only I could say the same. Let's kick off um, beyond the usual playground insults with uh, the breaking news tonight. And obviously things are still a little bit hazy, but what we do know is that Stuart Mellon is going to step down as chairman, a position he's been in for 21, 22 years. Um, And it looks like Dave Cormack is going to be buying his shareholding. And with that, he would actually be a majority shareholder, something which I don't think we've had... Uh, ever since the club went public in 1995, and presumably he would also become chairman. Um, anything above and beyond that, we don't know what quite what the plans are yet. 22 years in a row, football fans always hate their chairman. It's just a just a requirement. I mean, Dick Donald got a tight at the time, but is revered now. I'm not sure I expect a similar reassessment of Stuart Milne's reign, though. Uh, no, there there won't be. Um, simply for the fact is that you know when Dick Donald was here, we were we were very very successful. Stuart Milne has has overseen you no know, directly or indirectly some real real lows um, in, in in his time as Aberdeen chairman. I think you know recently you know, things have been better. You know we've been a run we've been near the top of the league. Um, you know we have won a trophy. Um, I still think that people will, will still look at his time and. They'll see th- they'll see the early two thousands. They'll see the Patterson era, and they'll still say that you know he did. And I know we'll come to this in a minute, but people see it on the face value is that he didn't support the club. I mean, how many times have you heard people say you know why doesn't he invest money? Now we know he has, but the the, the wider thinking, and I think the, the general thinking, sorry, of people is that his you no know, his reign kept the club ticking over. How many times have you heard? The old phrase, um, that I don't think we've ever used on this podcast, but um, the, the old line that is, Och, Milne only wants Petaudry for flatsmen. Uh, yeah, I suppose his standing down at this point maybe puts a, finally puts an end to that nonsense. But yeah, I, mean, yeah I, th- I think what it is fair to say and actually point out, I mean, it's in the public domain that um, he's invested £7.25 million into the club since 1995. So obviously he'll recoup some of that, we don't know how much, uh, through the sale of his shares. I think in particular there were around about £5.5 million in loans between 2006 and 2013, £4.5 million of which roughly, which were converted to equity, so pretty much written off, which really did serve to keep the wolf from the door. Although obviously, you know, the reason that a club makes fo- uh, losses is largely because you've made poor footballing decisions and ultimately... Whether it was filtered through a director of football, whatever at the point, it was decisions that he made. The point raised there about, you know, maybe not speculating to accumulate, which has long been the frustration, I think, of a lot of people. He's not been a sugar daddy chairman. The money we've in- invested has, you know, kept us afloat. And that's basically it. Correctly probably saw the way the wind was blowing ahead of a lot of other rival chairmen around about the turn of the century and took steps to make the club self-sufficient. Now, that's not going to improve your trophy hall, which ultimately is the be-all, end-all for football fans. But it was the only sensible course of action, surely. Not that 
as I say, fans are going to see it as such. I think not. At the, I think not at the time. I mean, you look back on like, you look back on that now, um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, and you look at well, there's 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 three obvious examples in Scottish football. You know, there's Dundee. You know, one of my pals is a big Dundee fan. He tell he'll know he'll tell he tells me you no, know, it, it was great seeing. You know, Caballero, Sarah, Ravinelli, all these, you know, Kanija there. It was great seeing it, but look what happened. You know, it was a mess. They had to save the club twice, you know. They, 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 were, they were struggling for so long and they nearly lost the club. You know, you look at Hearts, a real short-term, short-term gain. You know, they didn't really get anything out. You know, the Romanov era was a mess for them. Um, you know, and as much as we've been kind of wide about hearts on here, but you no, know, I would never want to have the have the have to have the shame of having to hold a bake sale to raise funds for my for my team going out of business. Um, and obviously, Rangers is the other op- one as well. You know, we don't need to we don't need to talk about that. Everybody know everybody knows everything about that situation. So he was probably he was probably right to kind of you know just not be one of those speculate to accumulate chairman. We don't want to fall into that trap of. Overspending and then really like you no know, being close to the wall, which I don't think Aberdeen ever ever you know, fingers crossed would ever have gotten to anyway. But so I think he was very he was right in that context that you know there are examples throughout Scottish football of clubs that have just been silly chasing chasing after Celtic, chasing after Rangers, uh, trying to kind of get some trophies and get some success and get into Europe and you no, know, I mean you know teams are seduced by the finances and you know, the, the the millions that are on. We're on offer, but with with the Champions League and with two places there as well. If you can catch one of the the old firm as it was, um, then you could get that funds there. And um, I don't think that was ever truly a realistic target at that time with the money that those two clubs were spending. So I think he was very very clever doing that. Problem is that we fell so far behind a lot of other teams as well, Richard. I mean, you know, you look at the times early two thousands when we were finishing. Really, like you no, know, in the bottom half of the league under McGee again, we're finishing the bottom half of the league, and people have people have long memories and won't forget that, will they? No, and, and rightly so. He made poor decisions, and he's made poor decisions on recruitment, and he's failed to move the club forward on infrastructure as well. And these are critical things for a football. You stand or fall by your recruitment, obviously. Now, some occasionally. The recruitment was kind of seconded out to a director of football, but again, you know, he was the man that was, uh, put that guy on place. So, but I mean, his first major act, and I think even before he became chairman, was to appoint Alex Miller, and that's, you know, always going to be a disastrous appointment, Miller. It just, it was never a good fit for the sort of club we were, or who we wanted to be, and where we wanted to go. Then you've got Ebi Scovedal, I think. Polarising figure, certainly, but it was a good appointment on paper. You have a guy who had been very successful in a league of a similar standing to Scotland. And, you know, for all the extreme difficulties of that first season, there was at least a plan with Scovedale, and things were moving in the right direction in the full seasons that he was here. To then go ahead and appoint Steve Patterson, when you had a club which was, at that point, on fairly shaky foundations, you know, you didn't have... If we were to appoint a new manager now, we could have... You know, we we know that the club's in a tour footing. We've had a few years of stability. We, you know, we could afford a few <laughs> quirks, shall we say. But, you know, the rumours going around with Steve Patterson were prevalent and a lot of people had heard them. And, you know, they essentially were what put Dun United, I think, off really seriously pursuing him as a manager. And to go ahead and appointment, point him despite the rumours, then I suppose to, to keep him on after what happened as well, because he knew then that you know he'd have a manager who'd be pliable and malleable was was a, a little bit unforgivable. Again, it, it's a negligence of the footballing position and where we needed to go as a club. Then you get some of the chief executives that have passed through as well. Again, we've had a good period of stability recently uh, with Duncan Fraser having moved up to that role. But you had you know the, the chances, the guys like Gordon Bennett and his um, predilection for not quite knowing the way to Pataudry, apparently. <laughs> And this lad called Dave Cormack, who also fucked off after a year. You know, it, it's been very, very checkered. And then you get Willie Miller, who was brought back in as a direct football, a very populist move. As soon as Miller had outlived his usefulness, he was unceremoniously dumped. So I think he, he does have that uh, quite ruthless streak about him, which I guess you probably need to be as successful as he has in his other businesses. But, but for me, the, the issue where he really fails has been on infrastructure. The failure to maintain our current home and the obsession with moving to an out-of-stadium site despite, you know, thinking on that front having moved on, Martin. It's the managed decline that we've seen of Pataudry, um since he's been there. You know, I mean, he's had his, you know, 
Stuart Morris had his heart on a new stadium for a long time now, and we've seen for years you know, Pataudry fallen into a real state of disrepair. Um, you know, it's you know we hear of, we hear these the stories every year about oh, the the capacity has to be cut for us to be able to get our safety license, and you know this whole kind of the scaremongering about maybe we wouldn't be allowed to play European games and all that kind of stuff, which comes out all the time. Um, and there's never any there's never actually a hard evidence you know, revealed behind it, um, which is an interesting obviously is the real interesting thing about it. This obsession with getting an out of town out of town stadium. Lauriston was no was I don't know how, how close was Lauriston to really going ahead, you know. Um, there was obviously there was there was lots of kind of conversations that happened about it. Um, and you know, we can talk about you no. Know, I think it was obviously the council get the blame, or you no, know, is it Milne being too stubborn? There was all this kind of stuff. The real thing where is the is the bugbear for me. Whereas you no, know, it's it truthfully it's heartbreaking when you go to Pataudry now. I mean, I've said before, you no, know, oh, it's a dump, but it's our dump. And thought, but it shouldn't be. Pataudry's a Pataudry's a beautiful place. And it still kind of is, but it's fallen to pieces because it's been allowed to fall to pieces. You know, I think I probably, I would imagine you'd feel the same, Richard. Just, you know, you look at it now and I don't know. Now, now there's obviously the talk of the new stadium. I don't know if there's a way of us being able to kind of bring it back to to what it was and stay there. I think that's has to be a recognition that the sort of major moves were probably not going to be possible financial, so financially speaking. So I'm talking about rebuilding a stand at Bataudry. But that doesn't forgive the fact that, you know, the South Stand has basically been left to crumble. Even really basic things, like, you know, not buying new seats in two different colours so that we've got a complete mismatch of, of, of seats in the stadium. And I moved season tickets a couple of years ago. First game in my new seat was against uh, Burnley at home. I sat down for the first time, you know, 30 seconds or so after kick-off, and the entire seat just crumbled under me. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the sveltest of guys, Martin, but my seat shouldn't be crumbling in that way, and rusty metal hook sort of embedding itself in my leg. That shouldn't be happening in any any venue in which the public have got access. So it went beyond just a cosmetic thing. It, it, parts of it is becoming unsafe, the facilities are, are poor, and these are things which could have been handled without the need for a brand new stand, a brand new stadium. So you've got the ground, that's one aspect. I, I think, you know, the other thing is, I was looking back as it happened, coincidentally, a couple of weeks ago, at, at some of the statements he made when he became chairman. And he was speaking then about redeveloping Pataudry to 25,000 seat bowl. That's one thing. But of course, all throughout his tenure, he's spoken about a training facility, training facility, training facility. The outlay for a training facility need not have been anything like the scale that uh, you would need to spend on a new stadium or new stands. It could have been done. It could have been done a little bit cheaper than the 13 million that's current that's eventually been spent. That 13 million is obviously inflated by some groundwork for the, for the stadium site as well. Let's, you know, not forget that. But 20 years of his chairmanship and procrastination on a training facility until someone else stepped in with the hard cold cash. This is what the club's been needing. I mean, you know, you only have to spend 15 seconds in the, in the, in the company of someone like Craig Brown and they'll tell you all these stories about having to hunt around for places to train. The club's been needing this for years, even before that, you know, and he hasn't, and it wasn't delivered. I mean, it just, it has to come down to the fact is that he just didn't want to pony up the cash. The one thing is that I know that is different about the, tra- the, the training facility and the stadium is that the training facility doesn't need to be within the city. It could have been, no, that could be, it could have been in Stonehaven for, for all people care. This love affair with having the stadium, the new, a new stadium and a training facility on the same site is what's kind of, is what's clearly been, been the delay here when what the, what we needed for so long is our own training facility. And we've, we've heard so many times them say that, you know, We've, we're, we're trying to you know, recruit players. It's harder to recruit players because we don't have our own facility. We haven't used a sports village or Bulgownie or Seaton Park or this. And it's like, OK, now that we've got you know, Cormac Park, um, it will be easier to attract players. But this is something that when the, when the club were in the doldrums, we, we should have had this in place. A, a football club should have its own training facilities. They shouldn't, no, they shouldn't be sharing with local sports clubs, local football teams. Local sports clubs and teams should be allowed to use that facility, absolutely. But it should be ours, and it should have been done years ago, Richard. I think back to when he took charge in 98-99, that Hearts and Hibs, he still had to sort the stadiums out. 
given how training facilities and you know in terms of infrastructure we're miles behind us now you know they've, they've sorted their stadiums they've had training facilities of hearts don't own theirs for a number of years and off the pitch they really have overtaken us and you know that that is down to really down to negligence on the board's part you know we're lucky that we're still punching above our weight commercially in terms of being able to pull more uh, pull more money through, have bigger turnovers than those two clubs, because obviously the attendances are, are slightly down on, on uh, their crowds. So I think that's another indictment of his reign. For the main time that he was in charge, we were obviously weighed down by the albatross around our neck of a substantial bank debt. And again, this is quite similar to a training facility in a lot of ways. That you know, we, I've spoken about the money that he did input into the club, and it was necessary, clearly. Again, it needed someone else to come in with the external funds to be able to clear it. Which, again, I don't think puts him in the best of light. No, it's his money. I suppose he can do what he wants with it. But in terms of... It's the kind of thing that, you know, when, when you look back on, you know, legacy, whatever that will mean in terms of his time at Aberdeen, um, those are the kind of things that will be remembered. Um, so this is an, a bit of an unanswerable question. But, you know, when we've heard Dave Cormack, albeit it's been in tandem with his chairman, when we've heard him talk about the new facilities, he, he seems to have been four square behind the uh, the new stadium but um, do you think there's any chance of a, a sort of pause and a rethink now there's going to be a change of leadership? I hope there's a pause and a rethink um, as you say Cormac's been a huge supporter of Kingsford he's been, he's been the real vocal vocal voice on it you know, he thinks though there's new Atlanta stadium he thinks that says though he's been spoken about so much he thinks that's a dog's bollocks and you know it looks very very nice and he wants that for us I would love maybe a little bit more open and honesty about you know, what is actually wrong with Pataudry because we've still not really been given you know all the full reasons of why we can't stay you know there's always there's been things drip fed and that's fine but just just come out and say if we if we can't stay just be honest and say these are the reasons this is what's wrong with the stadium this is this and okay the the previous regime will have to take the blame because you no know, in hindsight yes we should have bought the gasworks yes we should have bought the lumber yard but they didn't do that let's go be honest explain to us why so people will maybe get on board with the fact that we can't stay we will have to move but i would like i would like there be a, a kind of just a hold on this uh, and possibly consider, you know, what can be done to stay at Pataudry? Because initially I was kind of open to the idea of, of of moving. But as time goes on, I just think that Pataudry is home. There's, there's a difference between a house and a home. Um, and I, I think moving is just would be the wrong option. And I think it's the wrong thing for Aberdeen. And I think it would give, if Dave Cormack is the new chairman, which, you know, we're all kind of you know, assuming he's going to be, I think the thing that could really give him a lot of curry in favour with the fans if, is if you know, we consider perhaps that moving, moving isn't the right option. OK, well, that's, uh, that's Stuart Mill. That's um, what we know so far tonight. As I say, the club haven't officially come out and said anything, but the... Uh, Annual report should be out in the next couple of days. Friday nights actually when they very frequently release these things. So um, anybody having a having a big Friday night can come in and, and spend their um, drunken hours reading a financial report if that is their bag. On to another kind of um, heavy topic that's been the main um, discussion, I think, around Aberdeen fans lately. Um, it's about the manager. Is it time for a change, Martin? I think it is, yeah. It was the, t- the tipping point. For me, the final the final tipping point is something that I've, and I've thought for a long time that it was that it was coming time for a change was um, just the meekness of the home the home defeat to Celtic. Uh, but it's been but it's been a long time coming. Um, the last eighteen months uh, have been have been really really poor. The football's been atrocious. I think it's just been things have been going downhill. McInnes's record as manager, no, is is very very good. But we have to look at it in the context of. He had basically the rule of the roost out with out with Celtic in the league. You know the, the the so-called bigger teams, the teams that are going to challenge you, the teams that are capable of putting runs together because they have slightly bigger finances and slightly bigger, you know, more, more kind of um, influence on the league. Your Hearts, your Hibs have been out of the league. Obviously, the carry on with with the Huns, they've been gone as well. And I think that I think that he's you no, know, he did well when we had that kind of that kind of freedom. Of just being able to look up and tackle, tackle Celtic. 
when other teams have come in the league and and he's been really pushed, I think no, it's it, he's he's fallen and it's it's kind of it's kind of fallen apart. Despite the fact that last season though, we did finish, yeah, we finished fourth. I still think it wasn't no, it it wasn't it wasn't a terrible season, but it wasn't anywhere near good enough. And I think that he's probably. Um, I think he's probably it's, it's he's overstayed his welcome. Well, let me try and demolish that particular argument about okay. how <laughs> last season was about how you know he hasn't been able to cope when the bigger teams have come back in the league because since Hearts have been back, he's finished second, 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 fourth. He's finished ahead of Hearts every single time. The Huns have come back, he finished second, second, fourth. So he's been ahead of them two seasons out of three. Doesn't look like he's going to be ahead of them this season, though. That's pretty clear to see. Since Hibs have been back, well, are we really discussing Hibs? Are they a serious prospect? But of course he's finished above Hibs every season. Basically, in the time he's been here, he's finished below Motherwell once, Kilmarnock once on goal difference, and a Rangers who spent £15 million more than they take in in order to uh, get, what, I think nine more points in the league in this last season? Yeah. Last season, the football was... Pretty uninspired, I think, is is being generous. But, you know, people, um, do you know, it was the 30th anniversary of Pantheel House, and people were waxing lyrical about that 89-90 team. Double cup winners, good team, a lot of key players in that team. You still had Alex McLeish, you had Theo Snelders, big names, big stars. And we finished second that season, granted. But we took more points per game last season than, than we took in 89-90, and that's adjusting 89-93 points for a win. We scored pretty much at the exact same rate in the league as well. Now, you're not quite comparing apples with apples there because it's a 10-team league back in 89-90 and a 12-team league last season, obviously. But the perception is really, really weird. You know, last season was apparently this dreadful anti-football season when, in fact, it was actually one of our better seasons that we've had in our times, the football club. What do you think our average league position is, Martin? As uh, as Aberdeen, our average um, under, under McKinnis. No, no, in history, in, um, I I generally don't know the answer to that. So um, I'll gamble. I'll gamble and say fourth. It's seventh. What do you think wow. our average league position is since uh, Alex Ferguson took over in '78? Uh, since Alex Ferguson took over in '78, I would probably say third. It's fifth. Fuck's sake. So again, it's just it's just people's perception of. There's been a regression, and that's plain to see. You don't go from second to fourth and, and not see that. The the goal scoring is down, you know, the crowds are down, there's a feeling of neg- negativity about the place. And this is not coming from a, you know, he must stay point of view. I've kind of come to the same conclusion as you, but I'm I'm far from 100%. I'm far from certain. I don't think, you know, on the back of the Ibrox display, to then pitch up a couple of weeks later and be so passive and so... Well, nobody did their job to any sort of standard in either of those two games. Those are the games that an Aberdeen manager, if he's doing the rest of his job correctly, is going to be judged against. Now, it's a good thing that he's got to the position where we are being judged in those games and we're not completely writing them off as we had been for like 15 or 20 years before that. So that's in his favour, absolutely. However, you need to be looking like you have a chance of winning things and we have never seemed further away from that during Derek McInnes' time than at half-time in that game against Celtic having shipped five goals to the other lot a couple of weeks beforehand. Because beforehand, you know, you always felt it was really just Celtic you had to try and get past. You felt you had a, a reasonable chance of taking out the other lot. Now, with the two at the top, it just people are just thinking, oh, it's how it was before, how it has been for 25, 30 years since, well, 93, 94 was the last time we finished second before then. So, I mean, it was 20 years, basically, of absolute hegemony at the top of the table, one or the other. And it doesn't really matter to to other teams whether it's a one horse race for the title or a two horse race it doesn't matter if you're supporting one of the other sides the numbers point and they've always pointed to it not being nearly as bad as people think as people make out of course we watch the games and we know that it's not been particularly thrilling it's been pragmatic shall we say a lot of the time this is a guy with the best away record in the history of Aberdeen managers. This is a guy with the third best winning percentage of all Aberdeen managers 
it's that it's been taking that final step, which has always been this team's undoing. You know, we've had decent results in Europe, but never putting enough of them together to get to the group stages, which is the goal. We've maybe had good wins in top competitions, but then blown it by losing games. Not that we were certain to win. There's been no absolute horrors in cup competitions, but there's a, a if you look at the combined record of some of the exits, it's disappointing. Things like St. Johnson in the Cup semi-final, losing to Dundee, two di- going out twice at Tencastle, losing to Hibs when they were in the first division. As a, as a whole record, it's not brilliant. Losing twice to Motherwell, for God's sake, allowing Motherwell to make two finals in one year. We, I mean, we have to apologise to the rest of Scottish football for that. He's punched our weight. This isn't a great record to shout from the rooftops, but he's consistently punched our weight. And it is a win record that does stand comparison with the very best. He's had a difficulty really overcoming the big financial gap between us and the team that's basically won the last nine, ten trophies in Scotland. If Adon's boss is getting about 70 points in the current format, he's doing pretty well. You know, he's 67 last season. I would imagine that he'll get round about the high 60s, low 70s again this season based on what we've seen so far. Yeah. I, I, my worry is you go ahead, you make the change, which you know might be needed for a couple of reasons because clearly results and performances in big games this season, nowhere near good enough. Failure to break through and win more trophies, a frustration, absolutely. He's repeated failures are key signings. Last three summers, the midfield signings brought in. You've got Tansy, a, a complete write-off. Forrester, the same, just quicker. Gleeson, well, slow death on that one. Lewis Ferguson's been a positive, absolutely. I don't think anyone could have foreseen the difference he'd make. And, well, Craig Bryson, it's not looking brilliant right now, let's put it that way. I think another factor, Martin, is that just that people, just at human nature, they get bored. They want a change just to change things up, just to get, just to refresh the thinking around the place. There is an ever-growing section of the support, section of the support that, have, that have had enough of him. Some of the stats you put to me early, no, consider, no, consider me well and truly put back in my box, to be honest. Um, but you know, there is a huge section of support who long ago have given up on him. Is it that huge, though? Are we inclined just to just to hear the noise that some of the sort of louder voices are making? You try to keep you know, keep an open mind, and you, you it's, it's a case of stupid stuff like you no, know, not just on, on on social media. Don't just follow people that you agree with. No, no, and I think that's a, a sensible thing. And you no, know, there are people who think he's the right man. They're 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 right to have that their opinion. But there is a never going section of people who who just feel it is time for a change. Uh, and you know, no, that is that is no less valid. And you, know, you hear this term, the happy clappers, which is a nonsense, you no know, piece of shit term. That's just this kind of dismissal thing of if you like Derek McInnes, then clearly you're just a happy clapper and all this. And you know, these kind of people. If you want him out, then why? That is valid as well. His words, he did say, "Judge me uh, uh, with my results against the bigger teams, against Celtic and Rangers." So you know he has to be. He does have to be judged like that. He's asked for that himself. You know he set targets that he said. You know we want to be getting to you no know, finals and winning trophies. We want to be getting into the, the group stages of the Europa League. We've not done that. We've won one trophy. Um, so I can under, I can totally understand why there are people who have given up a long time ago and are are, are wanting them out because they feel that. As, as it goes on, they use the term shelf life. You know, I think that that's what it seems like now where, you know, despite the fact that we've been, you know, he's, he's absolutely, you know, got a winning lottery ticket with, with, with the, the run of form Sam Cosgrove is on. Um, without, you no, know, without that, you know, God knows, you know, what, what the situation we would find ourselves in, you know. And you're right, no. Wait I, a minute. What, why is that a winning lottery ticket? Why is that put down to luck and not just, you know, good coaching? <laughs> well, okay. Right. Okay. Um, if there's if there's a person out there who who when the the signing of Sam Cosgrove was announced thought that he was going to be as successful as he is, well, Derek McInnes thought he'd be successful. Surely that's the point. That for all the criticism we give him on those that haven't come in, such as the list we've just given about the midfielders, here's a yeah. punt that he's taken and backed with game time that has absolutely come to fruition. And in fair play, you know McInnes gave him the game time. He stuck with him, where. 
you know, and he got, you know, he, he, he kind of shepherded the very popular Adam Rooney out of the club because he saw the club going in a different way. I just think that's a really I, weird I, argument to say that, you know, a guy that's been brought in by the manager, been shown faith by the manager, it, it's somehow luck in the part of the manager that he's actually providing the performances and scoring the goals that you'd expect your main striker to, to score. I, I just think that's a really, really curious argument. You know, there's been other signings who we've rightly criticised, who have not had the return, who have not, you know, come on to the game that Sam Cosgrove have, has had. That aside, you know, the gap is growing. We could conceivably end up 30 points behind the two teams ahead of us this season, which would be so, so demoralising, it really would. But it's demoralising from a place where we've reasonably, in, in the first couple of years before Brennan Rogers appeared at Parkhead, we were, we were in the conversation, at least until kind of March, late March time, which is unheard of for a whole generation of Aberdeen fans. I mean, you know, the last time, obviously, we took it to a final day was 1991. No one here needs to revisit that particular afternoon. It was such uncharted territory, not just for us, but clearly a lot of the players as well. You can tell that by the way that some of them performed down the stretch. So yeah, do you think he's, um, I mean, success is maybe not quite the right word, but do you think he's been a victim of his own pretty high standards in those opening few years? Because this was, for the first time in, in 20 years, a team that were winning games, repeatedly winning games, going on long winning runs, scoring a lot of goals as well, and beginning Hayes. You had people that you would pay money to come to Pataudry to see. Whereas, obviously, now, and certainly last for large parts of last season, it's not quite had that same pizzazz. I think, I think, there's, a lot of, I think there's a lot of credibility in that, yeah. The loss of, the loss of Johnny Hayes um, can't be, can't, simply can't be underestimated um, to that Aberdeen side. You know, I know McGinn obviously went away for a short period as well, um, came back after whatever it was, seven, eight months. Um but he's but he's came back and he's he's been a shadow of the player he was, um, and so I think that you know he had those he had that front three which you know were just were just on fire um, and were were just were you no know, were so attractive to watch and it was it was excellent to watch it was so good, um, and he had Johnny you know, Johnny Hayes like I say can't be underestimated the loss of him that was that was really um, it really did harpoon a lot of the. A lot of this kind of the really good football, and it kind of just it didn't it didn't fall apart from there. You know, he, he's tried, he's brought in other players, he's tried to make it make it you know, as exciting and successful as he can, but it's it's just not really caught on. Okay, well, I mean, listen, it's it's still very much a case of um, nothing's really going to change. I can't see that um, the board, even in a state of flux, are going to make any changes. I, for some reason. God knows why, stayed to the end of that 4-0 Celtic game. And I kind of wondered if there'd be some sort of demo outside um, the main stand at Broadway or anything like that, but, but nothing, nothing. So, you know, I, I do wonder just how widely it is uh, an opinion that's shared by him, to be perfectly honest. Uh, another kind of weighty topic at the moment is um, is the atmosphere, and this is definitely tied into obviously some of the discord around around the manager. Um, it went through a stage of being really, really quite poisonous at a couple of away matches. Martin Livingston, it was nothing display on the pitch, albeit a win, but a very, very unhappy and fractious away support. And then proper ructions after the um, defeated Tynecastle and penalty kicks as well. And that was before the Ibrox capitulation and the home embarrassment to Celtic. I mean, at home, obviously, we know it's been non-existent for most run-of-the-mill league games by the odd outbreak after goals. But is that really much different from what clubs experience these days, just up and down the country? I don't, I don't think it is. I've been, I've been away games. I, w- I wouldn't say that there's been you know, a great atmosphere at any of the any of the other grounds you go. To. Motherwell, you know, okay, you've got they've got the Motherwell boys who make who do make a lot of noise. But they're you know what are they fifty sixty lads who are kind of making noise. I mean most of our stadiums there's no atmosphere. You know like you know we're going to see St Johnston on on Sunday, um, and that place is no that place is like a morgue. Yeah, that place is a particular a particular atmosphere killer. That place. I don't think there was a golden age at Petardre though. Certainly not in the time I've been going. And if you look back in the seventies, there's no way that some of the crowds at the run of, run of the mill league games would attract would would mean that you could have too much of an atmosphere. But I don't think there was a golden age at Petardre where a routine home win over the likes of Kilmarnock, who brought north a couple of hundred fans, would have been played in much more than a contented hum. 
short of the, the kind of you know, really big games, obviously you get the big European games with a lot of noise and not suggesting for one moment that we start dishing out Vuvuzelas to everybody again because if I know if I never saw another one in my life I would I would be happy. Short of like some big European games, you know, there's really isn't been there's really not been a great atmosphere uh, for a long time. You know, I mean the Red Ultras tried it tried to create some atmosphere when they were in Section Y um, for the for the league games. You know, discounting the European games and the big games when there's been the big banners and the big displays. The divisions and the support, of course, don't help. You know, you've got the guys who want to stand in the Y, the guys. Want to start the fence. There's guys who are no in the no want to be in the upper McDonald. Um, so you've got this thing where the, there is the divides among the support and kind of you know if there was a section where everybody could stand uh, and you know make noise and do something like that, um, it would be better. But the club have you know no if we're being honest, the club have put barriers up um, in a lot of ways to to, to stopping the support creating atmosphere. Well, also things that I'm uh, an interesting um, comparison because obviously we were probably the first group in Scotland to really have that ultra setup. And at the time they came through, it was obviously at a time we were really struggling on the pitch. And I, you know, I wonder if that kind of helped because uh, people just kind of were less bothered about the result because they kind of knew that it probably wasn't going to be a positive one. So they they focused more <laughs> on just having a good day out and a good time. The point about sections of the ground, I don't know about you, but I certainly felt that the section around the fence and the south stand had quite organically since we'd won back that area full time um, in the past couple of years had quite organically become a section where people could stand people could were singing people would make a bit of noise so you had obviously a group of fans who went to the uh, top of the RDS for the last home game and they were stopped from hanging flags over the barriers I mean that's unnecessarily heavy handed from security there's no question about that we were invited to a meeting that Dave Cormack, Rob Wicks had with some of the supporters groups where I believe this and area topics like this were discussed. You know, we didn't go because that sort of politicking is really, it's just so unbearably tedious to me. And it's the last thing I want to be getting bogged down in. But do you think it's lip service from the club or, or do you think that the key decision makers are really wanting to listen and wanting to improve things? I'm not. I'm not sure they are. I mean, I know that Cormac. I mean, the particular the incident, obviously, with the flags at the top of the RDS. I know Cormac responded. Um, I think. I think Rob Wicks has also responded with some stuff on social media as well. From what I'm led to believe, it was basically because the flags. You know, there's this kind of rule about flags being safety test, safety tested, or something like that. And I know there was a bit of hassle when the lads came over from Breda with the flag for Greg Lee. Um, you know. I saw the, the stewards outside being a complete pain in the arse to these lads because they they wanted to start check the flag three or four times, um, and it's, it, it was it was actually quite embarrassing. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think that the club really are really are that fussed. Um, if I'm honest, if there's noise, if there's atmosphere, I'm, I hope I desperately hope I'm wrong, because you know sitting in sitting in a quiet stadium. Um, just kind of just casually watching the football while nobody makes a noise. Um, that's not the football I grew up loving, um, you know. And the more you look at football nowadays, um, especially with how sanitised it's becoming. I hate that word sanitised, but how sanitised it's becoming. Especially look at you look at no, you watch on television, you see the English Premiership. It's becoming so sanitised down there, um, and you you think that. As much as I dislike them, you know the Green Brigade, the Celtic fans make a lot of noise, make a lot of colour. Okay, they get the you know, they get the club in a little bit of trouble now and again as well. But you like to see groups of fans making noise, making making up, creating atmosphere. You know, kind of dare I say, starting some songs. But I don't think a bit. The problem you have is that with Aberdeen, I think that this the there's a lot of people who have just kind of the people who are the the ones who will create that atmosphere have kind of given up because they felt that for so long they're not being listened to um, if it is going to happen, if it is going to change it's up to guys like Rob Wicks it's up to guys like Dave Cormack now to kind of you know, kind of warm, invite these guys invite these people in, not necessarily in for a cup of tea and a chat, but to say look, we'll give you your own section we'll, no, we'll allow banners in we'll, we'll, we'll we will try to stop the heavy-handed stewarding because the stewarding was a bit of an embarrassment that carry on at the last game. To be honest, um, you don't want to see that at any football stadium where you're wanting to, wanting to have you no know, atmosphere and things like that. And so I, I do hope that the club will kind of would be more open to creating atmosphere. Obviously, we've heard this before, but you no, know, with the new stadium and the talk of safe standing, um, that is something that you no know, 
if that ever ever comes to fruition, which you know I'm very doubtful, could possibly be a thing. But in the short term, I'd, I'd like to think that the club would be would be willing to listen to people from supporters clubs and and that kind of ilk of people and at least try and improve the atmosphere because it's it's never going to be we're never going to have some big rocking stadium like you see in South America or something. No, none of us are in that kind of dream world where that will happen. On a freezing cold Tuesday night against St Mirren or something like that, you know, having a bit of atmosphere, standing up, having a bit of a sing song and a bounce would be great. Well, I should say that um, it's been much better uh, in the away ends recently at Motherwell and at Ross County. Now, responding obviously to wins and improved displays on the pitch for sure. I, I wonder if maybe people are unifying behind um, someone like Andy Considine, whether that helps too. And speaking of Andy Considine, uh, he is on the threshold of a significant appearance. If he's picked to play at Perth on Sunday, and I think there's genuinely a debate about whether he would play, um, it would be his 500th competitive appearance for the Dons. A significant number, only the sixth player in club's history to hit that mark. And if we tell you that the others are Willie Miller, Alex McLeish, Bobby Clark, Stuart McKimmy and Jim Layton, then it uh, shows you the company he'll, he'll be keeping. Lots have been said before um, and lots said now about his merits. From my point of view, Martin, he's really held his own for the past six seasons at left-back for side at the top end of the table. Yes, sometimes better wingers get the better of him because that is their job, to beat the fullback. We'd be pretty pissed off if now McGinn was never able to beat the opposing fullback. I don't think any of us saw him when he hit his testimonial year. It was a kind of, I was a little bit of disbelief. I think a lot from a lot of people because you didn't see see that coming, and it's and it's great because you know here's a here's, here's a guy who I think would you know I think he's you no know, he's level headed and he's down to earth enough to admit that he isn't the most talented football in the world. But what he does does do is he works hard. He works hard and gets his head down. Now that's the minimum you ask from a footballer. He is you know a, a, a very good SPFL level footballer. Um, and on, on on his day, he can he can be above that as well. And we've seen some performances where he's been fantastic. The past six seasons at left back have been have been very good. I mean, you know, he was as we mentioned earlier about Johnny Hayes. I think he would did really well when he had Johnny Hayes working there as well, because that's a guy who is a hard worker. So I do think he's you no know, he's had a, he's had some tough times as well. It does help that he obviously can slot in at centre half as well. So you know when he's been, when other other guys have been injured or suspensions and things that have happened, he's been able to slot in. But you know he's you know what he's he's done his job and he's done his job with credit. He deserves a lot of praise for that. When you know it would be very easy to go out and get one go out and just get some kind of foreign replacement. You know, you know McInnes is very wary of doing that. But you know you. You see how many clubs just trawl the kind of the Latvian league or the Lithuanian league and bring these lads in. Where no, we've stuck with Andy Constantine, and in truth, no, we've we've reaped the benefits of it. He's not a new style left back. The, the contrast to having no. Greg Lee this season, obviously, and uh, well, Max Lowe is kind of out of our league, probably really is a permanent option at left back. But but he's a better defender for it, and there'll definitely be games where um, it's better to go with a more defensive left back. And you, know, you have to accept that successive managers, whether they've been good Aberdeen managers or bad Aberdeen managers, have recognised his qualities. We asked you this afternoon for your favourite Andy Considine moment. A lot of you went for the hat-trick at Dens Park, which is so bloody obvious that I'm not going to mention you. A few that came in. Uh, Davy Wilson goes for the Queen of the South Cup replay and Valentine's Day in 2012, I think it was, where he scored a last-minute winner, which was uh, necessary to avoid extra time and which it was looking like we were probably going to lose again to Queen of the South. That's the goal where afterwards he takes his top off and reveals a rather ripped physique, um, which uh, which has also been mentioned by some of the other uh, correspondents, the female ones, granted. <laughs> Uh, Ewan Ross says he wasn't at either game, but he was on at the score first against both Raika at 66-1 to and Celtic at 50-1. to Yeah, you'd be pretty happy with Andy for those two goals, definitely. Uh, Fosh says, my pal got done for failing to appear after a whole host of speeding fines. With his, Bruce, uh, with his brief at Kitty Brewster, they couldn't work out why he was doing 95 miles an hour on a Friday night. What were you rushing to? Andy Considine's testimonial against FC20. <laughs> Few of you have mentioned the um, goal at Fir Park in the League Cup in the run-up to winning the trophy in 2014. Uh, just the best moment in all sorts of levels, says Drew McClellan. Pure delirium when that hit the net. 
that was a time when he was um, sort of competing for his place well, along with Joe Shaughnessy who, who got sent off that night and uh, Clark Robertson who's since gone on to inexplicably become a first choice centre-half in the Championship down south. It was probably one of the nights that things turned around for him because he wasn't really getting into a team that often at the, the outset of that season. Callum Smith says <laughs> it was a time that he was uh, told to bulk up close season and came back like Eddie Hall. Now, Eddie Hall is not a reference I get, Martin. Is that somebody that you can... Yeah, uh, Eddie Hall. Eddie Hall's like um, like three time world's strongest man. Okay, thank you, thank you for your world strongman knowledge there, Martin. Um, yeah, I think he did that. Um, he actually mentions that in an interview today. I think he speaks about uh, then Mark McGee coming in and, and sort of cutting back on his weight and being able to to be a bit more mobile. So I think it's probably a little bit earlier in 2012. But yeah. Um, I, I guess it's that thinking that all your all your centre halves, all your defenders have to be have to be big guys. And then Finley Mayer says, just before his goal in Raika, he launched a long throw which their dodgy keeper flapped at, which seemed to give the team a bit of belief. So obviously the goal was one of the top moments of the McInnes era. So 499 games to date, Martin. Have you got a particular Andy Considine memory? I mean, it would be it would be very very. Um easy and lazy for me to say the Dundee game. Um, so you'll be saying is, the Dundee game because um, you're very, yeah, very lazy. Yeah, yeah. Simply, simply, for the fa- simply for the fact is that his, his, um, his hat-rick um, won me £351. Okay, that's the second gambling story so far tonight. I mean, I also like him because he was very, very kind to me when um, when he was just he was just back to, back to fitness from when he broke his leg um, and he humoured me very nicely at about 2 o'clock in the morning in McDonald's when I was absolutely pissed um, and posed for a photo of me giving a massive thumbs up and embarrassing him. But he was a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. And um, yeah, no, deserves all the credit it comes to him. All right. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the away game in Neat Pro, where he and the rest of the defence were, were immense. Probably the first time you thought that, yeah, he is a guy that could that could actually achieve something with us. Um, uh, although he was kind of responsible for the goal he scored that night. But let's gloss over that. Um, so... <laughs> It is St Johnson on Sunday, and um, beyond the, and it is a sideshow. Let's be clear about Andy Considine. He'd want nothing more than just to get on with things and get the three points, which we really do need. Not just um, this Sunday, but also against St Mirren the following week, uh, because we need to win those two, keep the momentum going. That de- uh, that December, it's looking it's looking tough. I mean, it's away games at Celtic, Hearts, and Hibs, and um, we've got the Rangers at home. So. Um, no guarantees from December, so we need to be going in, into it with six points out of six. And also the fact that last time out against St. Johnson and St. Mirren, one point out of six. Yeah, hi, thanks for reminding me of that, Richard. Yeah, I mean, no, you're totally right, no. I think even I think even um, Andy mentioned in his interview interview during the week, it's like, no, it's it doesn't it doesn't really matter, you know. He even even kinda of questioned him or whether he'd be picked and he was very much if I'm picked, but all that matters. And it's right, you know, this is why he's why he's had such a such a long career at Aberdeen because all that really matters is he's one of these guys who puts the team first. So all that really matters is we get a win. No, St Johnson have no St Johnson have been one of these teams where they've, they've struggled a lot this season. Um, but you know down there, down there has been you know, it's been how many we've you know, we don't really like talking about these games, do Richard? It's been it's almost been shit fest after shit fest down at, at McDermott Park. But these next two games are you know dare I say. You know there are teams that you know if Aberdeen have the ambitions that we do um, of finishing in the, you know, not just in the top half of the table but challenging for the you know, the, the top places in the table, then we really have to be getting the points here. And as you mentioned, you look at December. Um, you know you're obviously got you no, know, you've got the Rangers and Celtic, but it's just tough games. You know games that. No, there are a couple of games where we would be looking. That we should we look at and say we should be getting results there. Yeah, and those those other games, as much as the the heat has come from awful, awful performances against the teams above us in the league, if we'd taken care of business in the other games this season, we would be sitting top right now. Uh-huh. That's the, that's where the frustration comes. You know, I mean that that performance. Um, well, it's not Love Street. That performance away at St. Mirren Park. What we go back to earlier, it's what makes people f- fall out and they'll lose faith in McInnes because he's been very good at getting results against these type of teams before. Uh, no, just the, 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 and again, you mentioned his away record. His away record is excellent. Um, but no, we, we could be finished. We could be top. Instead, we're sitting, is it, I think, nine points behind. Not nine points. It's seven points behind Celtic and Rangers. Um, so it's, it's, about, it's about doing the business against the so-called lesser teams, isn't it? 
Oh, it's hopefully about doing the business against everybody. But, you know, the argument that you can't yeah. compete with the sides that have got vastly bigger budgets to you doesn't really wash if you're not taking care of teams who've got vastly inferior budgets to you. Absolutely. Three wins in a row. We shouldn't overlook the fact. Three, over, three wins in a row before the international break. Team beginning to pick itself a little bit. Hedges McGinn looking lively. I think your comment earlier on about now again being the shadow of the player he was before he left. Again, the, the numbers don't really back that up, but never mind. Cosgrove still scoring. Main question mark for me is still Craig Bryson. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's the, that's the worry. I mean, Bryson. We, I think we mentioned you know, the very first episode we did did of this season. You know, Bryson's coming in here. You know, I, you know, we we fully expected him to be. To be captain, club captain, the way he was coming in, he'll be on. You know, he'll be. A, he's coming in as a senior player. Uh, the moments he's played, you no, know, he doesn't look anywhere near fit. If we're being honest, but you no, know, he came on. He's came on in the games so when he came on this that second half against Celtic. At least he was getting you no know, in about. He was moaning at people, which is the kind of you no. Know, it's kind of player you know, we've maybe been missing is like a real moany bastard in midfield. But he's the thing is fit. He's a good footballer. The problem is. That doesn't look like that's going to happen. He looks like he's came up here and it's 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 he's, he's not I wouldn't say broken, but he's definitely damaged, um, and that's that is a worry. So we've, we're going to have to try and find that solution for the midfield, which is how we've ended up with Viner and Lee in midfield. You know, which and that's how no, and Constein has taken advantage of that and managed to you know, settle himself in at left back. Uh, but yeah, Bryson. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your solution would be to the Bryson question, Richard. It is about fitness right now. It's about getting a run of games, but he he just looks off the pace whenever whenever I see him. Unfortunately, some of that will be down to match fitness, no question about it. We can't keep going season after season with these key midfield signings not working out. You know, such critical players that we've lost on that area of the pitch over the past three close seasons successively in Ryan Jack, Kenny McLean, and then Graham Shinney. We've been relying on a 19, 20-year-old kid to fill the gap, basically. And he's done it admirably, but he needs support there. So Bryson needs to, to step up, and Ojo needs to get back fit and, and start demonstrating why we spent 125000 on him. And you're right, I think Greg Lee probably will be playing in midfield on Sunday, which will allow Andy Considine to, to slot in at left-back for appearance number 500. Too much to ask, probably, for an Andy goal. Probably too much to ask for him to score the third uh, goal on Sunday, which would also be the 500th goal of Derek McInnes's time at the club, which would be too neat, too neat a solution to work out. Just in case you're interested, Richard, he's currently 11 to one anytime goal scorer. So, just in case you fancy a bit of that. I think there'll be a lot of takers for that, for sentimental reasons. Uh, and then about two o'clock, when they realise, oh wait, he's on the bench, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of cursing. But looking forward to Sunday, we'll be down at Perth, uh, we will update you as best we can, given the um, notably terribly phone signal down there, um, as to how things are going. And ideally, no promises still Martin, but ideally we'll be back next week with another podcast, eh? Um, if, if, if you're up for it, I'm up for it, Richard. Alright, good stuff. Thank you for listening uh, to this uh Overlong catch up on what's been happening, thrown somewhat by the breaking news tonight of uh, Stuart Milne stepping down. Uh, we will hopefully be back with you next week. Speaking about uh, Andy Considine's 500th appearance and maybe another hat trick uh, at the weekend. Until then, come on, you Reds.